listening to The Adjacent Self, brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego. We're your hosts, Kendra and Libby, and we're going to help you explore how to step into the best version of you. Thanks for being here. Hi, Kendra. How are you? Hey, Libby. I'm doing so good. It's a beautiful morning in California. So I'm, I'm jealous. Just, it's sunny and beautiful. <laughs> it's nice here in Arizona, but it's still Arizona. So <laughs> <laughs> no shade to anyone who's not sunny and beautiful. I love you. I all. guess that's true. Yeah, for people in the snow, like Miss Goody Howard. Who yeah, we have you know, today. I mean, it's beautiful today, though. That's true. It is beautiful in Texas too, which we are so happy about. Well, wow. we are very grateful. It's snowing on Friday, but it's sixty degrees today. Global warming, man. I don't know. Mother nature. Yeah. (laughs) We have Miss Goody Howard here today. I'm super excited. I think we're all just got a lot of good energy and excited to jump into this great conversation about sexual health and sexuality today. But before we jump into that, let's start out with our one word. So I'm going to invite you, Libby, to share your one word first because I need to think about mine. I know you didn't even give me a chance. Okay, let me think. My one word today, you know, I think my one word today really is gratitude. I woke up this morning and my bed was like, you know, when you wake up in the morning, your bed is like the most cozy it's ever going to be ever in your life. Like, Mm. that's how I felt. And I just woke up feeling super comfy, super cozy. I've got tons of coffee in my cup right now. And I am jazzed and grateful for today. I love it. What about you, Kendra? I think my word is rested. I have the past few months not been sleeping very well. And thanks to like the conversation we had last time, I've been trying to limit my screen time at night. And for some reason, I switched to a new side of my bed. And I have slept the last four nights straight through. Usually I wake up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom, and then I'm up for an hour. I've gotten seven, eight hours of sleep. So I feel like a brand new baby or something just so, <laughs> so well rested. Like it's crazy what good sleep will do for you. So it's like when you get out of your little bed dip and then you're on the other side. Yes. It's nice and firm still. It's and like brand new. Yeah, it, it literally is like, this is a, like a vacation over on this <laughs> side. So I'm going to be switching it up a little bit more often from now on. And Goody, we invite you, if you have a word you'd like to share, to go ahead and let us know. Relieved, because COVID-21 is over for Dallas. It was so stressful last week, and it just was dumb. It was dumb. And it's over. It's 60 degrees. Mm. There's no snow left. It's all melted. It's all gone. Now it's just the aftermath getting the pipes and stuff back acclimated. But I'd rather have that then not be able to leave my house or get water or food or not so creative last week cooking because I couldn't get groceries. (laughs) I was playing chopped in my own kitchen. Like it was a whole situation. So I'm relieved now because I can Uber Eats again. Mm. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. the best. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, we definitely are sending thoughts and prayers out to Dallas. So in Texas, I know you guys are dealing with a lot right now. So um, best of luck to everyone. All right. So Goody is a sex ed superhero. She has her master's in social work as well as her master's in public health. And she is also a PhD candidate for health education and promotion. 
And I found, I actually found her through another podcast and a friend, like within the same week, we're both like, go find this person and follow her on Instagram and have had no regrets. I've learned so much from her page. So I think we're going to have such a great conversation and I think we can just jump right in. So Goody, you have this MSW and you have a, a master's in public health. How did that lead you to being a sex ed superhero? Actually, I was a sex ed superhero before that. Oh, because okay. I was already doing this work before the master's degrees. What happened was I just wanted to be able to get into collegiate spaces, academic spaces, more professional spaces mm-hmm. to be able to do workshops and, and, and teach and speak and things like that. And the master's degrees basically lended credibility to the work that I was already doing. And so that's mm-hmm. what I leveraged the master's degrees to become, to put more wind in my cape of my sex ed superhero-ness. I love that. Yeah. What can you define for us what a sex ed superhero is? What that means? I think for me, I think a sex ed superhero is someone that is kind of like a lighthouse for other people, be it lay people that are not in the field or even people in the field. I have so many colleagues and we collaborate and we we thrive on collaboration over competition. And so I think a sex ed superhero is someone that is accessible and collaborative and informative and just kind of is a beacon of, of light for what what we do every day. That makes me a little curious. You said you got your start a little bit before. Could you talk a little bit about that before you, you went into your master's program? I had been a sex educator and pleasure professional and all those different things mm-hmm. for about 10 years oh. before I got started my master's program. I was an accountant during the day and I was doing everything on the side. And so I had my daughter Hendrix in 2015. It's, it's a blur. <laughs> and when I went back to work, I was so stressed out with my job. My milk dried up. I couldn't nurse my child. I was going through a whole baby blues thing. And my husband was like, forget that job. Because I didn't want to be doing it anyway, you know, if I'm being honest. My passion lies in education. And so he was like, don't worry about it. Just go back to school. Mm-hmm. So I started doing this full time in uh, December 2016. But I always did like the pleasure parties and the panel discussions and the speaking. Like I was doing all of those things and like going to conferences and doing the professional development pieces to kind of support what I was already doing way before the master's degrees came along. What the master's degrees did was make people more comfortable with paying my fees. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all deserve our rate. Know your worth. You know, that's yeah. that's, that's hey, what the people part of the it's like being a beacon in my industry and getting my rate. Yes, yes ma'am. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think what I really think is interesting is that sexual health is always important, right? It's always sort of something going on within the time that makes it extra important. So what would you say is about the time that we're in right now that makes focusing on sexual health super important? I think the biggest thing about sexual health right now, like in the in this public health crisis that we're in is that we are overlooking a lot of media outlets overlook the fact that COVID and coronavirus are absolutely sexually transmitted infections. And when you talk about COVID and things like that, we're we're quarantining, we're staying in our homes, we have bubbles of people that we associate with to kind of still have that interaction. But when we're talking about STIs and sexual health and pleasure and things like that, COVID, it's like, this is the normal conversation. Mm-hmm. This is the sexual health conversation with COVID because it's the way COVID is transmitted is so insidious, it's so benign. It's like if you touch a door handle after someone else or something yeah. like that. Sex is such an intimate thing, and health 
it's so it's such, you know, it's so integral in our just day to day. I think it is heightened, but people don't want to wear condoms. They, they don't want to wear masks. Right. So they definitely, like, people already weren't really wearing condoms the way they should be. And so that kind of one thing informs the other. And so I definitely think that uh, sexual health is even more important now because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tell people you wear a condom when you're going in and a mask when you're going out. They're both the same kind of protection, but people don't yeah. want to use it. Yeah. And I think for me, it's been, I've been so lucky because I have a partner, we live together, you know, we quarantine together, we don't have to worry about spreading COVID between each other. I couldn't imagine trying to date right now, you know, being on Tinder or OkCupid or or whatever the new ones are. It's been so long since I've been dating (laughs) online. (laughs) Lots of new things. Um, And and even with that, like there is a at home STI testing kit. It's from Let's Get Checked. And it's super cool. Like they reached out to me. I love these people. This is not a commercial for let's get checked, but what have you. It's a great product. You can test for the top five STIs, which are gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomoniasis, syphilis, and HIV and coronavirus. Wow. From the privacy of your own home, you go and you mail, they, you reach out to them. They mail the kit back Mm. and then you, it's like has all the lancets and pipettes and collection cups and all the things and super like direct instructions and Mm. they have partnership with UPS. So they come back and get it. That's wow. And then two to three days later, you get your like results and stuff. It is so dope. And I know this is through now through the end of February, they have, if you use code love 30, you get 30% off the test. Given our climate, you don't even have to leave your house. You don't have to go to a Mm -hmm. clinic or anything. So these types of products, sex and tech and the way that media and health and tech are really stretching to meet the needs in this current climate is amazing and let's mm-hmm. get checked is one of the great ways that that's happening it's it's a dope product and I think people need to know about it <laughs> no absolutely because I mean for us we want whoever's listening to be as safe as possible and if that's going to aid somebody but I think that that's like you said like with tech and sexual health and sexual education coming to meet I'm thinking about the stigma people feel when they have to go into a clinic or into their physician's office or like even when I go to the OBGYN and they're like asking if you want to get tested or you know there's sometimes and not always but doctors are also human and you can feel Mm -hmm. like there's judgment if you're requesting it but what I'm thinking about with like this meaning of sexual education sexual health and tech is the judgment some people might feel with going in to request getting tested from a a doctor or a clinic or even if it's a regular Mm -hmm. thing like everyone should do it if you're sexually active there still is a perceived judgment, especially I feel like as a woman, that if I ask to be tested, I'm looked at a certain kind of way. Yeah. Because or even when human. the doctors say, like, how many sexual partners have you had this mm-hmm. year? Yeah. And you're like, I have had more than one. I've been told that I was having risky sex. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but because I had sex with two different men in, in one year. Right. That, I mean, and I'm using protection and, you know, right, all these things. But I have definitely experienced that shame explicitly mm-hmm. from doctors. Who are you to tell me that I'm being risky or that I'm not being healthy because I'm choosing to engage in sex outside of marriage or outside of a explicit monogamous partnership? And they don't give you that. They, the questions rarely ask about condom use or consistent condom use, et cetera. But fun fact, doctors only have to have eight hours of sexual health, human, human sexuality. Wow. To get 
the doctorates, right? I so, love learning these things. <laughs> so a part of what I do, I don't just do the pleasure-centered education. I have two uh, business models. I have pleasure development and I have professional development. So I teach mm-hmm. workshops that medical professionals and healthcare providers and lawyers, horse care, you know, social workers, therapists, counselors, they can all take around sexuality. I teach sex and aging, sex and disability, uh, sex and body size. I teach uh, a sex, gender and orientation workshop. So being a person that understands that healthcare providers don't typically get these types of educational opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm switching gears a little bit. And you, don't kind of, you, don't know, you don't know it, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I could, I, I've definitely had history in the past with doctors that I feel I wish could have taken a class from you. Yeah. But, you know, that's the hope for the future that more people can get that education that are in the field to serve others. Yeah. So why is a sexual identity an important thing to develop? And also, what does a healthy sexual identity and life look like? So I think a sexual identity begins with a sexual ethic, right? And the difference between ethics and morals is that ethics are personal guidelines, whereas morals are typically assumed to be more universal and social. So a personal ethic versus a cultural moral, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like something like cheating. Cheating depends. It's a morale in general. Cheating is frowned upon. But your sexual ethic may say that cheating looks like this. Cheating only is this. Or if I am in an open relationship or a polyamorous person, it's ethical non-monogamy then, right? And so it so I think that it begins with a sexual ethic. And it really, the sexual ethic is tied to all of the things, how you were raised, uh, your family of origin, your culture of origin, your religion of origin, your culture of origin, if you are lucky enough to know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. So those things all kind of play into what your personal ethics are and those extend to your sexual ethic. And so I think it's very important to be connected to the other aspects of your ethical self to be able to recognize what is and is not part of your sexual ethic. Yeah. I love, I feel like almost every topic always comes back to sort of values system and Mm -hmm. kind of defining what your values are and, and where you sort of align. And even with this, it's really important to know kind of what are your sexual values? What do you, what do you value in yourself? Mm-hmm. And how are you going to share that, you know, through your identity? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and how do you communicate it? Not only through your identity, but again, with your family of origin, with mm-hmm. your friend group, how we change the language. Language is alive, right? It lives in and on people. So we don't come out. We are now inviting in come out Mm. implies that I'm hiding. I'm in some sort of structure, some sort of closet as it were. And I'm coming out of this closet, child. No, 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 no. Now I, this is my life. I've always been this way and I'm inviting you into this part of my life. Mm -hmm. I love that. Right. I have not heard that yet. So so even in that reframe, it's Mm -hmm. empowered to the person. It's a person first perspective. And I think again, with the ethics, ethics inform identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, something you, I don't know if you said or Libby said it, but it makes me think of how other systems and structures can try to inform our sexual identity or, or sexual values or behaviors. And it's so key 
to start to develop that for yourself because no one's living your life and no one's living your sexual life but you. Mm-hmm. And to have those outer influences dictating is not going to lead you to being a whole and happy person. Correct. Yeah. And I think we don't understand too, like we attribute a lot of things, our, even non-sexual identity, we struggle with our identity and our ethics based on childhood traumas and mm-hmm. adversity and things of that nature. I heard somewhere, I heard Will Smith say it, but I know he's not the first person to say it, but he was saying that, you know, what happens to you in your in your origin story, because I'm a superhero nerd that way, what happens in your origin story is not necessarily your fault, but healing right. from the trauma in that origin story is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where the identity, the mm-hmm. ethics, the confidence, all of those things become real, become tangible when you do your own work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's that's a huge one for me because I think I didn't learn really how to step into my own self until I realized that the trauma that my my parents or my stepdad inflicted on me as a child wasn't my fault, but it's my responsibility to move forward with and, and to take control of my own life mm-hmm. and to not shift the blame or shift the responsibility for my behaviors onto well, I was hurt in the past or this thing happened to me in the past. So that's why I am the way I am. Like, yeah, these things happened to you in the past and it wasn't your fault. But in order to move forward, you have to take responsibility for healing yourself. Absolutely. And once I learned that, I was like, you know, I'm still a work in progress. (laughs) I think I look at it as recovery, right? Recovery is not linear. And I think a big part of what we don't understand about human sexuality in general, comprehensive human sexuality is from pre-K through senior citizens, from the cradle to the grave. And part of that in the, at the pre-K levels and the elementary school levels is social emotional learning. It is processing, identifying and processing negative emotions and how to handle them. And so I think if we, if we instituted human sexuality throughout the lifespan in our education system, we would have a lot less people struggling with the responsibility of healing through mm-hmm. the of our origin. Right. And yeah. I just, yeah, but there are the people that make those decisions just hear sex and stop listening. Right. Yeah. Pre-K sex ed looks like boundary setting, body part names, and it's just like math. It's age appropriate and it mm-hmm. builds on the skills as you grow through the educational system, but people hear, you yeah. know, oh, oh, you know, and they stop. Yeah. And I only say that to say when we're talking about sexual identity, it starts way back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sexual ethics starts way back. All of those yeah. things start from inception. And so yeah. it's important that we understand it is very layered. Mm-hmm. And there is no one thing. Even cisgendered heterosexual people do not have this sexual identity. I love that. I love that you said that. I love this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So important to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a perfect transition into sexuality and gender roles. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some current issues being played out in the bedroom because of traditional gender roles? Or can we talk about gender roles and sexuality a little bit? I think traditional gender roles, I always say tradition is peer pressure from dead people. And so it gives you perspective on why you have to ask yourself, why is this traditional for me? Is this a chosen tradition or was this, I'm just, I'm just eating what I was fed. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so in that reframe, I don't, I, I really, because my mind is, is ungendered. When I think of traditional gender roles, I, within sex, I think about receiving partner and giving partner, right? And so typically the gender roles that play out, even if it's not a traditionally heterosexual couple, even if it's a same-sex couple, the receiving partner manifests their power in the relationship differently than the giving partner does, no matter what sex those people are. The gender role still boils down to the giving and the receiving. And so the receiving partner typically associates their power with the bedroom. So mm-hmm. like if I'm upset with my partner, I'm not, I'm not feeling you sexually right now. I'm just going, you know, because I'm upset with you about something. So I'm gonna just not have sex with you either. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, right? And so that's how the gender roles kind of manifest because. That's how we assert our power as receiving partners. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into like same-sex couples with gay couples, they're still a receiving partner. With lesbian couples, it's a little more dynamic and layered because there may not always be a receiving partner. All lesbians are not into insertive sex and all of that, but there still tends to be a masculine, a more masculine or more dominant energy. And so that's the same framework applies it's just not defined through receiving and giving it's just more of a upright with clothes on representation kind of thing but that's what i see when it comes to traditional gender roles in the bedroom so when when couples come to me and they're having sexual issues or challenges typically because sex is the most intimate form of com- communication it's bigger than that the sex issue is just a symptom of whatever y'all got going on with your clothes on Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we lose sight of that fact. Yeah. I, you know, it, it takes me back to what you were saying earlier before we were recording about being in a partnership with your, with your spouse or mm-hmm. your significant other and how really, you know, the gender roles of doing laundry or, or cooking or, you know, these kind of things that we put on to our relationships translate to how we behave in the, in the bed, in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And when you have more of a, a mindset around partnership, Mm -hmm. where my strengths are and your growth edges are, they kind of fit together. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like doing laundry and he don't care about doing laundry. He's, he's completely ambivalent about it either way. I'm like adamantly against it. I don't want to, I love clothes. I hate laundry. So it's just, it's just a matter of balance. And Mm -hmm. I think typical gender roles do not allow for that balance. The traditional gender role dictates that they don't have to do anything but go to work and come home. But if you're going to work and coming home too, yeah. How is that, you know, equitable? Maybe not equal, but equitable, right? And balanced. Now I got all this other stuff to do too. And you want me to not look like a potato when I leave the house? Like you're gonna have to pick one. Yeah. You know And so I think traditional gender roles weigh down the libido. I I think that's why the orgasm gap is so big because Mm. we're thinking about all the other stuff we got to do. We can't even connect to our bodies and be present in the pleasure because we got, once this is over, fam, I got other stuff I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Or even beforehand, you're kind of worried about how am I going to get prepared for it so that I smell good and look good and whatever, all the things that I need to do. Like, no. uh -uh. Yeah it's over so quickly usually. And then it's like afterwards, it's like, well, was that, was it worth it for me? Cause now I'm, now I'm back to what, whatever business as usual. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a country song that says I shave my legs for this. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when, I, when I first heard it, I was like... <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I'm going to have to I, Sometimes to I miss those days of dating when it was exciting and fresh. And I always sort of felt like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm so excited. I've got these butterflies to connect with this person. But that's also uh, an opportunity to find new ways to connect and build intimacy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I'm thinking even because I, I, I was thinking about this as you were talking, Libby, that we're all in different, like I'm in the dating stage, you're in a committed relationship and then Goody, you're married. Mm-hmm. And like on the dating side, we do have to do all that extra upkeep because not only if you're entering a from dating to sexual relationship with someone new, it's like, well, I want this part of me to be as appealing as everything else. So let me mm-hmm. make sure the waxing and the lotion and the sm- smooth, soft, whatever. So mm. it's a, it's a, it, even all of that. Yeah. You know, you want to, you want to keep your, keep your hair done, or at least have your head wrapped high cute that day. Or right. You want to do those things. And I think when you become a married person, it doesn't necessarily change, but that comfort level of living together is that we focus on our partner's consumption and our partner's pleasure and forget the fact that it feels good to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you reframe it to something that you want to do for you, not something that you're going to do for them it hits different. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, you know, and so you're doing it for you and that reframe gives it a freshness and a mm-hmm. new perspective that it doesn't feel like a chore or like, yeah. or they don't recognize it and they don't appreciate it. Now you got a problem because yeah, they're mad because you know, no, because uh-huh. you know, for you. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there too. <laughs> that, me too, girl. Absolutely. Yeah. We all think, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that really feeds well into our next question, which is about authenticity and sexual identity and the links that there are between our sexuality and our authenticity and identity, especially for those who are non-heterosexual. How can we explore our authenticity within our sexuality? I tell a a lot of people that a lot of times my my answer is just going to be self-pleasure. A lot of times, that's the answer. I think when you're trying to figure out your sexual identity, self-pleasure helps you figure out what your pleasure looks like so you can communicate that to your partners. But it also helps you figure out what those partners are going to look like. Mm -hmm. Paying attention to what arouses you, who arouses you, who you pay attention to more, who gets your attention in the street more. Those kinds of things can help you figure out your sexual identity, can help you explore what your sexual map looks like mm-hmm. yeah so if you're attracted to women you may want to explore what a lesbian relationship looks like or and then then you can stretch your definition and your own personal sexual ethic to include that and mm-hmm. i think the biggest thing with labels is that they're wrong because mm-hmm. labels are static and your taste for people and pleasure changes and evolves just like your taste for food yeah so um, you have to check in with that regularly, mm-hmm. pay attention to who you're attracted to and what you're attracted to and what you kind of divide, derive pleasure from, who or what you think about when you are participating in self-pleasure, all of those things. And don't think that, oh, if I was bi in college, I gotta be, I can't identify as straight now. Or if I was straight in college, I can't be a lesbian now. Or I can't be pansexual after I get married to a man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I'm a pansexual person. I'm queer as hell, but I'm married to a man so I can pass. That's, I think, the thing for me that I feel so lucky being a human being in the in the time that we're in now, even though mm-hmm. it's 
far, far away from ideal how we would want it to be. It's really huge milestones from where it was in the past. And I think with labels and language, you know, you can expand it, you can contract it, you can do so many things. Having even the, the capacity to understand that that's something that you might be interested in. Yeah. Right. Something I'm thinking about for me, as I phrase the question about authenticity is how little, I'm 32 now, in my 20s, I didn't have enough an actual like authenticity of my sexuality or how I presented myself because I was doing it for the pleasure of man or for the attraction towards mm-hmm. men and not mm-hmm. towards myself and using outer resources that were unrealistic pornography, whatever that teaches you nothing about figuring out your own pleasure or what feels great for you. And now I'm just even sitting here now. I'm like, do I even still know that having been in a couple more serious relationships? I don't think I do. I think Mm. that's still like, is a question for me to figure out. And right now I'm not dating because we are in a whole panorama. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's something now that I need to consider. And I don't even know how that conversation would go when I start to date someone seriously again. But there's a lot now for me to figure out about what I do like. And even in expressing that with a future partner. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that really lends into the next question that I was going to ask is to kind of start moving through your own sexuality. You have to really have compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know that we've talked in our pre-meeting about genuine confidence. And so I'm curious, you know, how can we reclaim our sexuality through genuine confidence And then what piece of you or what part of you of of us is genuine confidence birthed from? You know, as a bigger body woman, I get it often. Where where do you get your confidence from? Mm -hmm. And and so I'm always, I try not to be offended because I know people are trying to be complimentary, right? But would you ask a straight size chick that, right? right? And so for me, my confidence is based on everything except what I look like. It's not based on who I'm attracted to or who I'm with, or or my confidence is definitely not connected to my romantic relationships because child, my self-esteem will be trash up until I got married. (laughs) I think that my confidence is rooted in the fact that I am, I consider myself very smart. I'm intellectual. I'm intelligent. I think I'm funny. I think I'm pretty stylish. You know what I'm saying? So my confidence is rooted in those things because that has nothing to do with what I look like. Something could happen tomorrow and I can gain hundred pounds. Something could happen after that and I could lose 50 pounds or, you know, be real thin. And that would not necessarily impact my confidence in a way that it could be shaken because my confidence is rooted in the things that I have built for myself, mm-hmm. right? I'm funny. I'm stylish. I'm smart. I'm a go-getter. You can take me anywhere. I can talk to anyone about anything. I think those are the reasons why I'm confident in myself and it just shines through because it's not connected to what I look like. Yeah. I resonate with that. When we talk about sexual ethic and sexual identity and even sexual pleasures, I think it's important that we connect to those outside of appearance. And I think that we connect to those outside of what we look like and what our partners look like, because Mm -hmm. when you connect to the soul of a person, that, that chemistry is the only thing that doesn't require work. Mm-hmm. And so when your genuine confidence is attracted to someone else's genuine confidence, that's the only part of the dynamic that does not require any work. So you, you want to connect to your, your, your confidence in the most genuine way that you can so that you are moving through the world as your most authentic self right. and therefore connecting to all of the 
things that you connect to in a very authentic way. You can change who you are because again, it's not static mm-hmm. and understanding that your identity is not static and your confidence therein is not static. Right. It allows you to give yourself some grace and some flexibility to just mm-hmm. kind of define yourself for yourself or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something you had said when we had talked a couple weeks ago and prep for this was find one thing that you love about yourself that's not physical. Mm-hmm. And after we like hung up that conversation, I really sat there with that and have been thinking about it for a few weeks and I've been able to come up with a couple things. But initially okay. that was really hard for me because with quarantine, like I gained the quarantine. 15 or whatever people are calling it and I haven't felt (laughs) as great in my body lately especially because I'm a pretty active person I love to work out and play sports and all those things and when you're for me adding weight on my body feels different and I can I probably am more in touch with that than my body is actually like carrying the weight but because I (laughs) look at the number on the scale but, um, mm. it is, don't do that to yourself. Like, then you have yeah. to think about, okay, so then do you really feel not connected to your body or is the scale making you not connected to your body? Like right. if you're not, you're not feeling it in your body. Like I love to work out, but I don't work out for weight loss. I work out because I feel strong and powerful mm-hmm. and flexible and beautiful because I do like pole classes and stuff. And so I get this movement and this, I just feel so beautiful and strong. And mm-hmm. that is why I work out. Yeah. If weight comes on or goes off or whatever, but mm-hmm. Think about that in your connection to seeing that number versus feeling it in your body. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yes. it's, it is very, very hard, especially in the society we live in, to disconnect those two things. Mm-hmm. You know, because weight is not inherently unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And if, But if you don't feel good in your body, if you gain 10, 15 pounds and you feel sluggish and you don't sleep the same and you don't, your clothes aren't fitting. So it's making you anxious and uncomfortable in your own mm-hmm. clothes that you used to love and things like that. That is how you determine when yeah. you look at that scale and you feel that anxiety or you don't feel like yourself and all that stuff. You felt just like yourself till you saw that number. It's so true. Yeah. And yeah. and that's the relationship that I've tried. I've all, I've struggled with for almost 10 years. I have horrible body dysmorphia and I've been down to 200 pounds I've been higher than 200 pounds but I mean I've been smaller I've been bigger I feel like that's Mm -hmm. probably a better way to say it but even then when I was at my smallest I still had horrible image issues of when I would look in my in the mirror I was not happy so when you challenged that question I really had to sit and think about like do I even care about anything inner because I know there's great qualities about me inside. Libby is a great words of affirmation person. Like we'll hop on every day and she's like, I love this about you. And I will put a wall up and be like, that doesn't even You're like, count. thanks, Lib. Like, <laughs> I know. And I'm like, I, I hope you don't think I'm like that. But it's, oh. it's really like trying to let those things penetrate into my heart, into my soul, not just from Libby or a friend, but mm-hmm. for myself. Like I need, to, I need to believe those things about myself and let those things sit in because those are real things. And I think for me, that's where my confidence will come from because right now I I haven't felt confident in like the last year or so. So here's the thing too. When we talk about confidence, we all have an idea of what confidence is, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I love language. And so I think what we need to do when we look at confidence is we need to drill down. Confidence is when you feel beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. It's when you feel strong. It's when you feel powerful. It's right. when you feel smart. It's when you feel funny. It's when you feel capable. It's when you feel like, you know, you are, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's those things. And none of those things have anything to do with what you look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Yeah. And so drill down into that mm-hmm. because you are not going to be able to connect to your sexual identity and your sexual ethic until you can get to that space mm-hmm. where you drill down on what your confidence looks like mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so just drill down on what those words mean because words mean things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when we talk about body image and sexuality and arousal and attraction and all of these different things, all of that goes into this neat little confidence box and when we drill down and say, you know, I feel sexy, I feel powerful, I feel strong, I feel intelligent, I feel funny, I feel stylish, I feel all the things that you feel, mm-hmm. that is where the confidence is. Yeah. Not I feel fat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my kids love laying on me and I, oh, you're so soft and I, and I give great hugs and, you know, it's all, what does fat, what? Mm-hmm. Right. And well, and why is there a negative connotation with that when men are attracted to women's breasts? That's the, or or other women are attracted to women's breasts, right? That's the fat part of ourselves. And you know, they, they like your butt and that's your fat part. I love my thighs. They're probably the fattest part of me. So why your face looks fuller? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But just just think about again what your confidence is. And I'm glad that you were able to find some non-physical things. And hopefully you can connect with those and sit with those because the power mm-hmm. that's gonna come out of you when you really get you a good list going, you you only get your, what 30s, 20s? Yeah, and 32, just newly 32. Oh, yeah, girl. Come on, child. When you get connected and sit with and find joy in that list that means confident to you mm-hmm. and it don't have nothing to do with sex and pleasure directly. Yeah. But it is the building block that gets you to the sex and the pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would be remiss to not talk about black women and sexuality and identity because I am a black woman. Goody, you also identify as a black woman. So there's been some stuff coming up recently within the news. Particularly, I want to address, there's this young lady, her name is Chloe Bailey. She's an actress on Grownish, and her sister actually was just cast as a new Ariel for Disney, and they also are Chloe and Hallie, a singing group together under Beyonce's label, so we'll represent Texas. And there is a, t- a popular challenge on TikTok that she was a part of, called the Busset Challenge. And Chloe is very beautiful, 22, I believe, curvy girl, you know, and she participated in the challenge. And when she did it and it came out, the video came out, Twitter loved it. They were all about, yes, girl, do it. Embrace yourself. You look amazing. A couple days later, she started being called a hoe, but she wasn't contributing anything positive. And I feel like with that, it speaks a lot to how Black women can be seen, Mm -hmm. especially for her. She's aging into being a young woman. She's uh, in her young 20s. But Black women really get the titles of like a vixen or a hoe or promiscuous or whatever. Or you are the grandma, auntie, more matronly role. There's not really in between where we can 
have our sexual identity and feel out our sexuality, become authentic within it, it's an mm-hmm. either or for us. Yep. So I would love to have a conversation about what can a healthy middle ground possibly look like for Black women? I think first and foremost, we have to understand that this young woman is being, anyone that's calling her anything outside of beautiful mm-hmm. is A, projecting, mm-hmm. and B, attempting to define her by a social standard that is not indigenous to who she is. Right. Now, to be a Black American is to have all of the rhythm and all of the blues, right? We don't necessarily know where we come from, and we're here now, and we're not necessarily connected to our Indigenous anything. Mm-hmm. And so what I talk to people about in, in my in my anti-racist spaces and my cultural competence versus cultural relativist spaces is that colonization happened globally, Right. And when colonizers got to the continent of Africa, because it is a continent, not a country, mm-hmm. there were lots of sexualities, there were lots of orientations, there were lots of genders. And the way colonization works is it puts you in the bubble. It has to put you in the boxes that they use to define themselves so that they can then control. So colonization was like, listen, I see all your genders and all your orientations. No, no, no. Either you're a boy or a girl. Either you're gay or you're straight. Let's get in these boxes. And then after you get in these boxes, we got this this stuff. There's a boat out here for y'all, right? We have to understand that the standards that we judge people by aren't necessarily ours. They're traditional, colonial, Western civilization type things. And again, tradition is peer pressure from dead people. And once people of color and Black folks get free of what we have been fed our whole lives and what our parents were fed and what our grandparents were fed and our great-grandparents are fed and get free of the the judgment that came with that because there was a certain level of civility and training that you needed to have to maintain safety during a lot of these periods of time, right? This ain't that though. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, if you look at the commentary, it was Black people commenting. It was Black yeah. women commenting. Yeah, and I think was. internalized misogyny and internalized misogyny noir specifically they're not doing it to us. We're doing it to us. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at this, that's what I see. And that's outside of my clinical training and all of that. That's just what I see. I see a bunch of sad men and women that don't feel desirable and women that feel unchose or they look at her and see envy because of what her body looks like. She has a beautiful, curvy body. And because maybe I look at her body and I see a body I want and that's not necessarily the body I have, I'm going to project onto her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the times we project what we wish we could do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just a lot of, it's, it's, it's jealousy, but it's rooted in just an unhappiness and, and, and out of touch and a disconnect again with our own bodies, with our own self-esteem, with our own confidence. And so we feel the need to tear others down yeah. because misery loves company. Mm-hmm. And I think often we can't eat, we either the mammy, the Jezebel, you know, and, and there's little in between. And I yeah. think that there's so even even we say, you know, don't be eye candy when you can be soul food. You can be both. Mm-hmm. And again, there's that binary, right? Boy or girl, gay or straight, a hoe or housewife. You can't spell housewife without hoe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that we have to understand that it's not an either or, it's a yes and. And yeah. that's how we bridge that gap. We can understand that I am a 41-year-old married mother of four. 
But I'm also a sexologist and pleasure professional. When we have these conversations, it doesn't have to be the mammy or the vixen. Right. Pro queen and pro ho. Yeah. And I yeah. think that for us to get free for real, for black folks to get free for real, we have to understand it's a yes and situation. Right. I did do the busted challenge. And let me tell you, I had the most fun I had had for a few weeks when I did it was back in January. Mm-hmm. And I did have the thought of like, okay, like people could see this one way because my dress was low cut at the top. So my chest was out and it was a little shorter, but you know, it, I, as I posted it, cause I went back and forth, back and forth. And then I mm-hmm. kept watching them. Like, you look so happy. You look so confident even though we know that confidence is not based on looks, but I had makeup on, which is the first time I'd worn it in a few weeks. So I was feeling myself a little bit and my hair was fresh, you know, but it, I feel like, especially as a younger black woman where I, in the generation after us and Gen Z, they're a lot more open with gender identity, with embracing that you can, that you are who you are. And I, yeah. I'm jealous of that because I feel like I'm closer to a generation that is tied to being very traditional, being You're a right lady in, in the streets, but a freak in the sheets. So if you put the, the freak outside in the streets, like now you're automatically, oh. You're like and, red, like red fingernail polish is for, it's the hook. Yes, red lipstick, <laughs> red fingernail polish is not okay. And I also come from yeah. a religious background where you're taught certain things as well. And so mm-hmm. I put it out there and the feedback I got, and it's not for anyone else, I did it for myself, but because it looked fun. But it was just like, you look like you're having so much fun. You are, you're glowing. You're so happy. All these But things. you know why? Not only were those things true, but because you have a bigger body, mm-hmm. you're not the vixen. Right. Because again, just because we don't exist in the binary doesn't mean the rest of the world does. Mm-hmm. So when you do it, it's empowering because they don't expect big girls to have power. Right. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. You do it, you being a vixen because of your body type, you're perceived a certain way. I think a lot mm-hmm. of women, I have a lot of male friends and my husband has a lot of female friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that my male friends, partners don't see me as a threat. Right. Because of my stature. Mm-hmm. Now, when they find out what I do and all that, they feel away, but then they see me and they somehow feel comforted. It's very interesting. When you have a larger body and you move through these spaces of confidence and sexuality, how you're received mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah. Oh, it's, cute. Mm-hmm. it's empowering when we do it. Yeah. Yeah. But let your little size eight homegirl do it. Let your little size six homegirl do it. Oh, she's mm-hmm. just a smut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that it works in our favor, I guess, because mm-hmm. we don't get the negative backlash, but we also aren't seen as love interests in media or if we are it is some sort of tale about not letting the book judge the cover and uh, you know and all of that I think it's important socially that we understand that it's a yes and 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 it's not a mammy or a vixen or a Jezebel it is both yeah absolutely there's a book that I want to recommend to especially other probably white people who are listening to the podcast but there's a book called fearing the black body the racial origins of fat phobia And it really dives into where fat phobia comes from. And the conversation is around how black women have started the body positivity movement. And I, and I just think that's a really 
a great book to kind of read into if you want to get more information about this, or if you want to start to educate yourself around mm-hmm. kind of where yeah. this stuff comes from, because you're right. I mean, it, it, there's historical roots to how we perceive each other and how we perceive, especially fat people. And it's rooted in racism, not surprised because yeah. I think everything is rooted in racism. Also, the body is not an apology. Love that Yes, book. ma'am. Absolutely. And pay her right. She get her right. So yes, pay her her right because she absolutely <laughs> deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the other part of my question for that, because black women are seen like either the Jezebel or the Mammy, why isn't this the case for men? Even though, <laughs> why? Just why? Why? We have misogyny. I know that's a whole thing. They created the paradigms in the first place. Mm. Patriarchy, misogyny, they did yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to include themselves in dumb stuff. A and or unattractive man gets a whole lot more rhythm than a fat and or unattractive woman. Whereas fat women specifically have to have to balance this unrealistic level of performative femininity Mm -hmm. to be even remotely deemed as a socially acceptable little get in the door yeah right I mean you don't even get the job unless you look a certain Mm -hmm. way and Mm -hmm. I know I mean as a white woman I'm saying this with extreme privilege and I know that that is something that black women face even further Mm -hmm. you know with natural hairstyles and, and all that stuff too so it's but even then, it's even in that privilege, you still have a marginal, like there's still a marginalization. Definitely I mean, something definitely, to- I'm going to say that well, since it's the adjacent self, I'm going to say adjacent oppressive behavior, right? Mm. It's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. really messed up. And even within the context of your privilege, yeah, you can't run that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So imagining the context of your privilege and you can't outrun it. We definitely ain't outrun it. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that that honestly, I think that women of size that are not black can empathize in a way. Oh yeah. That straight size cannot. Oh and yeah. Just, but you can absolutely empathize mm-hmm. because you've seen it in action. Yeah. But yeah. If it does it, if they do it to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What 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 your choice do we got? What, you know right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've said this to Kendra before. I. I feel lucky to be born in the body that I'm born in because it does give me the ability to empathize with other people who aren't born in straight sized cisgender white, you know, uh, societal normative bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because I have felt pieces of what they feel, you know, and I, I recognize I will never understand what it's like to be a black woman. Never. Right. But I can at least say, mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. Yeah. So let me just transition that pain into your situation. And now I can empathize with you and I can sit with you in that and I can listen to you and hear you and believe you. Yeah. And, and, and because you have that connectivity to it, it gives you not only that empathy, but that ability to use your privilege yeah. to mm-hmm. at least represent that empathy to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. I hate to end this conversation, but we're down to our last two questions. One thing that we we always like to ask at the end is, is really, you know, how do you practice consciousness? We're a conscious leadership academy. And so I'd love to pose a question to you. How do you live consciously, Goody? 
I, you know, I, 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 I like to say tradition is, you know, peer pressure from dead people. And I make conscious decisions when I like my gut reaction to something, I'll stop and go, okay, I challenge my training often. Mm-hmm. Okay, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. And do I really feel like that? Or is that what I, how I've been taught to feel? Is that how I've been socialized to feel? And so my staying present in my body, staying present in my mind and not necessarily going off knee-jerk reactions to things. Sometimes the knee-jerk reaction is the training. And if you sit back and think about where that came from or why you really feel that or do you really feel that way, sometimes your, your response is in line with your training and socialization. And sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. And so the times when it's not, those are the times when I'm just like, ooh, I have to take a note. I got to write a note. I got to come back to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's how I stay conscious in, in, in my own personal self is just questioning. If I make, if I have a gut reaction to something, like, well, what, what was that? Wait a minute. Where did that come from? Do I, yeah. Is that, is that who I am? Like, is my, do I really feel like that? Or is that how I'm socialized to feel about that particular thing? When you're constantly questioning why you feel the way you feel about stuff. It's an amazing exercise in being present and being conscious in yourself. Yeah. And then you build who you are and then you can build someone that you're proud of instead yeah. of just toting the line of that fear pressure from dead people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this, wow. I'm just sitting here like so much I've got to think about and journal about when we hang up, but it is always a good thing me and Libby always laugh that we walk around from each podcast episode with just like shock and awe and we have long discussions afterwards <laughs> yes oh yeah but that does bring us to our last question which is what are you currently reading so my father passed away on new year's eve of 2020 and his services my mother came to his services and she brought me a book called Pussy Prayers. And that is what I'm currently reading. I, and the fact that I got a book called Pussy Prayers from my mother is a miracle in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but I, I mentioned the fact that my dad died because that is a book that I was talking to him about that I wanted mm-hmm. to get. So I thought it was really cool that she stepped outside of her comfort zone to really make an effort to connect with me amid, amid my grief on something that she knew I would want. So. I'm reading it because of the way I received it. Yes. Yeah. I want to read that book. <laughs> I've actually heard about it on a few social media platforms. So it's in my to buy list. Can't currently buy because I just bought like four books, but <laughs> okay. it's high on the list what I can purchase once I get through these ones. <laughs> you know, you gotta have a you gotta have a goal, you know, have a list. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Before we do, um, I want to give you the opportunity to let people know where to find more information about you uh, so they can follow what you're doing or if they want to take a course from you or anything like that. Okay, well, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, My name is Goody Howard. It is my legal name and everyone asks Goody all kinds of things. So I'm Ask Goody on everything. A-S-K-G-O-O-D-Y. I'm at Ask Goody on all social media platforms. Uh, My website is Ask Goody at dot com and then my email is askgoody at gmail.com easy love it and we'll tag you too in our post as well please and thank you thanks for joining us new episodes drop every thursday on spotify and apple podcasts 
To join the conversation, be a part of the community, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at USDCLA or email us at theadjacentself at sandiego.edu. Can't wait to hear from you.